Let me first of all welcome everybody that's here this morning. I know we have visitors. We have several visitors, as a matter of fact. We're glad you're here, and we'd like for you to come back and be with us again in the future. You should be able to see a visitor's card probably just in front of you, on the back of the pew that's just in front of you. If you'd fill that out for us, we would appreciate that. We'll have a record of you being here. And uh, to our members, um, continue to do what you're doing, putting forth the effort to welcome people, make them feel welcome, be friendly, and all of that kind of thing. But uh, also, you may have noticed in the bulletin that we have some new members. I listed them. Their information addresses and all of that is in the new directory that should be on still copies on the foyer out there. But we have four new uh, members. Let's welcome them uh, to the congregation here and, of course, their families as well. And uh, we're glad you're here also. One more thing, and that is uh, about the debate last week, uh, last Sunday night. As James said earlier, we had a really almost record attendance. You can see that on the board to my, uh, to my right up here. But it's great. The fact that you came out, the fact that you're interested, there was so much discussion, not just afterwards, uh, Sunday afternoon, but also uh, throughout the week, there's been quite a bit. So I know that you're finding that interesting. I hope you will continue to find that so uh, this afternoon, so I encourage you to come back at 4 o'clock and, uh, and be part of that. And uh, for, me, for myself, it was a lot of fun, and so enjoyed it very much. Without any further delay, let's get into our lesson this morning. We're talking about this year, the Lord's Church, and this first quarter we're really looking at and emphasizing the idea of order in my church. I want to go back to a phrase, and I'll point that out where it occurs twice in the book of Ephesians, that might be translated literally, it all hinges on. Now that may not make a lot of sense, but hopefully as we get into the lesson and I come to those passages it will make more sense, but it all hinges on. Let's talk about order in the Lord's church. First of all, you've seen this a couple of times now. We've emphasized that Jesus Christ, Scripture shows, that he is the foundation, that he is the chief cornerstone. I've also talked about this analogy of Christians being living stones, 1 Peter chapter 2. And the fact that we are built upon the church, the members of the church, as living stones, are built upon the foundation stone, the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So you've seen, I've put up things like this, the foundation. If we talk about Jesus being the foundation, we talk about him being the one upon whom the church is built. We talk about the fact that he is the beginning of the structure of this building of God. And it is on him, or on whom the building stands, that he is the support upon which it rests. That... Being the foundation, he provides stability and continuity and all of that sort of thing. So we've talked about all of that. We've also emphasized the difference, really, a nuance of difference, between a chief cornerstone and a foundation. Now, you may notice that in certain passages like Isaiah 28 and verse 16, God lays in Zion the foundation, the chief cornerstone. And some of the verses in the New Testament that quote that or allude to that will mention it in the same verse. Others will separate the two ideas. The nuance of difference is this, that when Jesus, that when we speak of Jesus as the chief cornerstone, we speak about the one according to whom the church is built. Notice the difference. He's the foundation. Upon him is the church built. He gives that strength, that stability. But he's also the one according to whom. A a, a chief cornerstone 
was a stone that was selected because it could give direction to the building. You could pattern the building after that stone. You looked at its shape, the angle, etc. And you could lay a stone, and if it fit according to that stone, it was going to build the structure like you wanted it. If it didn't, you were going to have to change it. So they may shave a portion of it off or whatever it might be. Well, Jesus then becomes the perfect analogy for the chief cornerstone. It gives the structure its shape. It ensures that the stone that's built upon the foundation is square, it's true, it's straight, etc. The chief cornerstone guides the building of the church, provides the specs, so to speak, the standard to go by, and every stone is then measured by it. Now, you've seen all of that. So let's go a little further with this idea. That Jesus is the foundation, the chief cornerstone, is not questionable. That's already predetermined. That's set by God. Initially, the foundation, the chief cornerstone, was laid and built upon by the apostles and prophets. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3. We see it in Ephesians 2. And we'll revisit that passage. But let's go back and consider what we were looking at at the very end of talking about Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And I introduced this idea in passages like Galatians 6. I'd like you to turn there with me. Several times in the New Testament, there is a term that's used. A lot of people know the term. A lot of people don't in our day and time. But it is the word canon. And when we speak of canon, and I'm not talking about the canon, you know, like you have at a fourth that blasts a cannonball. But canon with one end. We speak of the Bible. And a lot of people, if, you, if they know the term, if you say, what is the canon? They'll say, well, it is the scriptures. And that is right. But what the word means, if you look at, at, at Galatians chapter 6, for example, and notice in verse 11, when Paul says, you see how large, and it should be letters, that I've written. We know Paul had an eyesight problem, probably the only book that he actually wrote with his own hand, the whole thing, uh, was the book of Galatians. After that, his eyesight was probably bad enough, he would not be able to see to do that. But he's talking about the written book that he's just written. And you'll notice as he gets in a discussion of that, if you'll drop down to verse 16, he'll make this point. And as many as walk according, now the King James says, according to the rule. Sometimes you'll have a translation that may say according to the measure. The word is canon. According to the canon, or the rule, or the measuring stick, or something that can measure something else. It's a standard, a rule. Like we have a, a ruler that's 12 inches, and that's a standard, and we take it to anything, and we say, this thing is 14 inches, this thing is 8 inches, we're going by the standard, the ruler. What Paul is saying here is, the Bible, things like this book that he's written, is our ruler. And as many as walk according to this rule, or this canon, peace be on them, and mercy upon, obviously, the Israel of God. Now, you'll see that in a number of passages. You may see it again in Philippians chapter 3. And I quoted this recently, so I won't turn there. But where Paul is saying, basically mark out examples. Examples of people who follow the canon, who follow the rule, and follow them as they follow the rule. A canon is a rule or a norm. It is the books of the Holy Scripture. It is the Bible that we go by. It is the measurement, the standard, the norm. If you want to know how things should be done. If you want to know what God thinks, if you've ever asked the question, I wonder what the Lord thinks about so-and-so. If He thinks about it, that is, if He has a written opinion, you're going to find it here. 
Now, you know, whether he thinks about the Atlanta Braves coming up this season and if they're going to do any better, Ethan, I don't know that he thinks about that. But if he thinks about his church and he thinks about the foundation of the church or the chief cornerstone of the church or us as living stones in the church, what we should do, what we should not do, if he does, we're going to find that in here. And that's what Paul is saying. You have a measuring stick, a cannon, a rule to go by, a ruler, if you will, a spiritual ruler. And having been firmly established, that canon of Scripture brings order. Because if we go to it, we appeal to it, we find what God wants, what He does not want, we can be anywhere on earth, we can be in any century of time, it won't matter because we'll have the standard. And we can go by that. And so people have been doing that for 2,000 years, at least as far as the church, and even before that as far as the you know, the old nation of Israel, etc. People have been going by the written word from the time Moses wrote until the time John the Apostle laid his pen down after Revelation. People have been appealing to this book and they continue to do so. Now, we make this point. An appeal must always be made to the canon, to the book, in every generation for the standard of norm or else you're going to get further and further away from the original. I want you to be turning, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the passage, part of which at least, and I only wanted part of it read, that Jeremy read for us a moment ago. And we're going to look at this in 2 Corinthians. You remember back last week when I was talking about the idea of getting further and further away, and I gave this analogy, like a carpenter who needs to cut a bunch of boards the same length. And I said that what a carpenter will do if he's a good carpenter is he will take a standard, a norm, a ruler. I'm being... Yeah, I don't know what... There we go. That's what that was. I thought pennies were falling from heaven. But anyway, the carpenter will take a standard, a ruler, a tape measure, whatever, and he will meticulously measure the length of the board exactly as he wants it cut. Then he will mark it and he will cut it. Now, he does not need to do that every time. He can take that first board, having been measured against the standard, and he can then take that board and he can cut a hundred of them as long as he takes that same board and lays it on another board and marks it at the edge. But here's what will happen. If he's going to cut a hundred boards and he takes that first board and lays it on a board, marks it, cuts it, then takes that one, Marks it, cuts it, then takes that one, marks it, cuts it. You know what's going to happen by the end of the hundredth board? It's going to be way different from the measurement. And every board in between, from one to a hundred, is more than likely going to be a different length, and it's going to vary more and more. Now, what's the point? Same is true. Jesus Christ gave to the apostles that first board. Here it is. And if I take this... And in every generation, we take this, and we look in these pages, and we measure ourselves against this, and we follow it as closely as possible, it's going to be pretty close. And if the next generation takes this and does the same thing, it's going to be pretty close. But if we do that, or someone did that in the first century, and the next generation comes along and says, no need to do that, already been measured. Let's just follow what dad and mom did. 
And the next generation comes along, and they follow what dad and mom did, who thought they were following what their dad and mom did. By the time you get to the hundredth generation, it's going to look radically different. Because it has not been measured by the norm. It's in fact, look at 2 Corinthians 10, been measured by people. And so Paul warns in 2 Corinthians 10, I want you to notice down in verse 12, and we will see our word for canon here in this passage. Down in verse 12, he says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with those that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Now, here's what that's saying. We dare not be people who look around us and look at other people and commend one another. You know, Wes, you're doing pretty good. Well, Michael, I think you're doing pretty good. So we commend each other, and now we become the standard of ourselves. I believe in Wes. Wes believes in me. You believe in Wes. You believe in me. I believe in you. We're all doing great. We measure ourselves by ourselves, and we continue to do that. So that everything I think, you think, I, we feel together, that's what we employ, and we do that, and then the next generation comes along, and the next generation says, well, I believe in them, so I'll do that too. Except, here's the problem. The next generation will look at it and say, well, they did this, and if they could do this, so and so. Now, I'm going to bring that point up again. Paul says, we dare not be like that. We dare not be like people who would commend each other, pat each other on the back, and then measure what they do by each other. Let's go on with it. Notice as he says in verse 13, we will not boast of things without measure, without rule is the idea. We'll not do that. But according to the measure of the rule, and there's your word, can. So what will we not do? We will not boast of how great we are or how great we do simply without measure, simply because we think it's good. Boy, Wes, that's a good idea. Well, thank you, Michael. Let's do that. That's not the way it works. Boy, Wes, that's a good idea. Are we sure that's right? Well, let's go back to the canon and let's see if it's right. Oops. That's not a good idea. That's exactly what Paul is teaching us here. Notice as he goes on, verse 14. We stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. What's he saying? This is how far we went when we came to Corinth, when I, Paul, and people like Apollos and Peter, who followed later and so forth, when we came to Corinth, how far did we go? Only as far as the Word of God. And they were apostles. person might have gotten in their mind, you know, Paul is an apostle. What he thinks must be right. Now you think about that statement for a moment. Because that's like saying, I believe in Michael. Michael knows the word of God. Michael's a good guy. I trust Michael. Whatever Michael says is right. No! Whatever Michael says that Jesus says is right. And that's why Paul is saying, when we came here, I didn't come into Corinth saying, I am an apostle. Follow me. I came saying to you, and we can see this in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, I came into Corinth saying, I am an apostle. Follow me as 
I follow Christ. So we don't go beyond that, Paul says. Notice verse 16. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged to you according to what? Our rule. Abundantly. What's he taking confidence in? What's he glad about? What does he feel good about when people follow the canon? That's when you've done your job as a preacher. Not when someone comes up to you and says, man, you're brilliant. You know, you're just great. You, you say things that I've never heard before. Well, if you start saying that, you need to say, hmm, I need to think about that. No. Paul said, I'm going to feel good when you're coming up to me and you're saying, the Bible says and Jesus says, and thank you for pointing out to me what was in the Bible because I see it in the Bible. That's what Paul is saying. Finally, notice as he goes on to say, verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things. That's his own rule. That's his own standard, his own measurement made ready to our hand. But he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now the point is, we measure by the canon, the chief cornerstone. We're careful to look at that. We're careful to, to follow exactly the measurement as God has given Order must be maintained. When we talk about order, we talk about order as God has given it. We talk about the order of things as, if you, if you will, as Jesus has ordered it. You know, if I go to a restaurant, and, and, and I do, you know, we, we do, we all do. If I go to a restaurant and I order my food, and I say, I want this, and I want this, I don't want that. And I get the food back, and it's not this, and they gave me that when I didn't want it. How am I going to feel about that? Not going to like it. And you're going to say, that's not what I ordered. Well, so Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want this, and I want that, and I don't want this. And we need to give him exactly what he has ordered. We need to maintain that. And it falls to each member. Now notice what I'm not saying here. It doesn't just fall to me, to Wes, or to a group of people here. It falls to each member of the church to take responsibility for all things being done. And I'll use the phrase from 1 Corinthians 14, decently, properly, and in order. Each member, every one of us here, is directly responsible. Notice again what I'm not saying. You are not responsible to me, and then I am responsible to Jesus. Each member here is directly responsible to Christ. Each of us, each member of the church, is a priest. That same passage that calls us living stones also calls us priests. And each priest is responsible directly to the high priest. When we look back in the order of the Old Testament, we're not talking about a bunch of priests who did not understand there was one high priest to whom they were responsible. And so it is today, and Jesus is the high priest. And what does that mean practically? Well, that means that each elder, each elder who rules, if he does it properly, he rules with Christ's rule, not his own. I told you, and you know, I mentioned to you a couple of times now, I still think about it. Long, long time friend of mine, older, my father's age. And he died in that car wreck back in, you know, December, late December. He was an elder. And I think he was a great elder, personally. 
And I think the reason he was a great elder is because I believe he understood this. He would stand up to the congregation and he would say things like, I have no rule in this place. Jesus has all authority. And that's exactly the way it is. So each elder rules with Christ's rule. Each preacher preaches Jesus' authority, not his own. This is not, and I want you to understand this, this is not my pulpit. This is not my seat of legislation. This is Jesus. Everything here belongs to Jesus, including me. And when I preach, I don't preach my authority. I don't stand up and tell you, this is what I believe you should do. No, I stand with Jesus' authority, His rule, His canon, His order, and preach that. Each teacher, each member, doesn't matter who we're talking about, we are directly responsible to Jesus. But there are a lot of false concepts out there, and they guide too many people. It becomes the excuse for straying from the Lord's order, and I give you a couple. For example... People who obey the rule of elders or pastors, and notice the term, regardless. You know, there was a preacher back in the 1970s. He was a well-known preacher. And he stood up in a pulpit and he said, he picked up the Bible and he slammed it shut. Now, I'm not going to do it because this thing is old and it'll tear out of pieces. Once he slammed it shut, he pitched it across the room. And he said, you don't need that. You just listen to me. Some left, some didn't. A few years later, about a thousand of them drank a poisonous solution down in, where was it, Guyana? His name was Jim Jones. And they all died. Elders who rule, preachers who rule, pastors who rule a congregation regardless, and people who follow what they say regardless are headed for destruction. There is never a regardless. There's not anything that I say that you should listen to and follow regardless. Everything you hear should be measured by the rule. And if it doesn't measure according to the rule, then you don't need to hear it. You surely don't need to listen to it. Another false concept is to do as we've always done. And that becomes a statement where people take great confidence as long as we are doing things here in this place, quote-unquote, as we've always done it. Or we begin to measure ourselves by ourselves. And what happens is the next generation comes along, and the reason I had the if then is because the next generation comes along and they can recognize that we weren't going to this and concerned with this. We were concerned with how have we always done it. But we took liberties. We said, we've always done it, but hey, let's change it and do this. And that's okay as long as we all agree to that and we all think it's a good thing. And so the next generation comes along and they look at that and they say, well, if you can do that, then we can do this. And then that next generation comes along and says, well, they did this, and we know the previous generation did, so if they can do that, then we can do this. And it gets further and further and further away. The Lord's Church is organized according to Jesus' plan, if it's the Lord's Church. 
It's what he wants. It's what he likes. We see phrases like this throughout the New Testament. Things that are done unto him. Things that are done for him. Things that are done to his glory. Etc., etc., etc. It doesn't matter if we're talking about worship. If it doesn't matter what, if we're talking about the way I live my life. As Annie Eddy was talking about earlier. It doesn't matter. Everything is done according to Jesus' plan. Now, that's contrary to the idea of things being done for me. And Pete, we're a very me-oriented society. We, we've gotten worse and worse at being a me-oriented society. Montel and I, we're grumpy old people now, so we sit around and we talk about this. You know? But we're a very me-oriented society. And that bleeds over even into church. And so church becomes, what do I want? What do I like? What can it do for me? What can I get out of it? And it's not any longer the main concern being... It's being done for Jesus. What does he get out of it? What does he want? What does he like? Etc. Etc. In fact, we should understand we do not determine what we do from what we like. Now I hope. I, I mean, personally, I like church. You know, I, I like being here and singing songs, and you know, I like taking time to reflect upon our Lord and His death and, you know, and, and remembering that. I mean, I like these things. But that's not the point, is it? We don't determine what we do from what we like. It's not the criteria for choosing a church. How many times have we all been guilty? And you can answer this for yourself. How many times have we been guilty of saying, I don't like that church? Now, why? Now, it's different when you're saying, I don't like that church because I don't like what's being done at that church because what's being done is not what Jesus wants. That's different. But I don't like that church. It's not the criteria for choosing a church. The, the, the question is, what is the church doing and is the church doing what Jesus likes? It's not the criteria for choosing what we do as a church. When we come together and we do that on a monthly basis, you know, the men get together and, you know, I know the ladies meet with James and all of When we come together in meetings like that, what do we say? Let's make choices based on what we like? Or are we saying, let's make choices based upon what Jesus wants? Now, hopefully I like what Jesus wants. But whether I do or not, what is my question? Because the criteria is not what I want. A lot of people lose sight of that. And they lose sight of how a church ought to be built. It's why we, and I hope we always will, it's why we pay such close attention to book, chapter, and verse. Sometimes we get maligned for that. You know, I've had people call me on the phone over there in the middle of the day and ask me about this church and what we do. And I've even had a couple of people say, man, you're all about book, chapter, and verse, aren't you? Yeah. I really am. You know? And it's why we talk about authority. You know? And tonight we're going to come together and we're going to discuss things. We're going to talk about what is being authorized. Authority. Such as commands in the Bible or examples. You know, a couple of people have mentioned those terms earlier. Maybe not, it may not have been mentioned today, but inference, which is the whole idea of drawing conclusions. Let me see. Jesus said this, and he said this, so the only conclusion I know to draw is this. Inference. What's inferred? It's why we search the Scriptures. It's why I'm standing up here this morning and really the bulk of my sermon is, let's see what the Scriptures say. Let's go to the Scriptures. Let's read passages from the Bible. It's why we do that. 
It's why we even debate them. Like we're going to come together tonight and continue to have. Remember that last week, that whole idea of dialogue and exchange and asking questions and answering, opening and alleging or discussing from the Word of God. It's all of those things. But it's why we do that. So we can maintain order, the Lord's order. We do what we do because it's what He wants. Finally, let me say this. And I haven't mentioned the phrase, have I? It all hinges on. Where does that come from? Well, again, Jesus is the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. We are the living stones within the building. Now, these verses, and I'm not going to turn to 1 Peter 1 and 2 because we've talked a lot about them. Again, 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, you are born again. So in chapter 2, you become living stones. And you become living stones built upon the foundation, the chief cornerstone of Jesus. But I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians. Now Paul uses twice, he uses a term in Ephesians that is a very interesting term. And he begins to talk about the idea of these living stones being built upon Jesus. But I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. All the stones in the the building of God, in the church of God, individual Christians, all these stones grow together to be a building of God, a temple of the Lord, if they are in the Lord. But I want you to notice something interesting. If we're looking at a stone building, a stone structure, the integrity of any stone structure doesn't depend on how strong a personality one of the stones in the wall is. That it can be an incredibly strong stone. It can be made of a different substance. It can even be diamond, solid. But the structure of the building, the integrity of the structure, won't depend on that. The integrity will always depend on the foundation. If the foundation is not sound, no matter how strong an individual stone in the wall is, it's going down. It always depends on it. But I want you to notice what Paul does with it in Ephesians 2. So read this together with me. Through him, and I'm reading verse 18, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And notice verse 21. In whom, that is in Jesus, all the building, then notice this phrase, Fitly framed together. Now, I used that in the last sermon, right? And I talked about the fitly framed together, meaning each stone needs to be measured against the chief cornerstone. You know what this phrase literally means? It comes from a term for a hinge. And it's the idea of a joint or a hinge. It's the idea of the connection that one thing has to another. Now, think about that for a second. We can go back there and look at the door, and we can look at the hinges, and you'll realize the door is connected to the facing or the wall by the hinge. It all hinges on that connection. And if it's not properly connected, or if it loses that connection to the thing it's connected to, then really it becomes useless as a door. And that's true of you, and that's true of me. It all hinges on whether or not we are connected to Jesus. Notice what he says here. In whom all the building, fitly framed together, hinged 
together. And the idea is in Him, on Him, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so you also are building together. Look over at chapter 4 briefly, very quickly. And notice Paul uses the same term. Only this time he uses it for a body. Down in verse 16. And you will see that when it says by you know, the joints there in verse 16. The whole body fitly joined together, the King James says. Exact same term. Exact same as Ephesians 2. And it talks about your body. And so if, we're, if we look at all these terms that are used in Ephesians 4, you know, he gave some to be apostles, verse 11, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers, etc. We all have a function. And it all hinges, that is, whether this church and order is going to be maintained, and we are going to be what we are supposed to be, all hinges on the fact that we are joined, connected to the body, no, to Jesus. And what he is saying in this passage is this. If you want a sound body, if you want a body that can grow to maturity, if you want a body that can gain the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, if you want a body that can reach its full potential, you are going to have to have it all hinges on whether or not it's connected to its head. And when it stops being connected to its head, if my head loses the ability to tell my elbow, my shoulder, my knee, or anything else what to do, it's done. It's useless. And so Paul is saying, it all hinges on that. Jesus, the head, the chief cornerstone, the foundation, the basis for order. Are you here this morning and you're not a Christian? Not a child of God. Not ever confessed your belief in Jesus, that He is the Son of God. Not given yourself. But you believe in Him. And you're willing to do that. And you will repent. You know that that's a lifetime process of changing. But you'll do that. You will change for Him. And this morning, you'll be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Because of what He wants. Because He's told us to do that. Or are you here and you are a Christian, you've done that, but you look at your life and you say, my life is not connected to Jesus. And I know that. I'm like that door that's off its hinge. You know, it's just not connected. And I need to be reconnected to the Lord. If you need to come to the Lord for any reason, won't you please come? Father, thank you.